0: One of the reasons I find it hard to go to the doctor is I wonder if things are really that bad. What happens if I make an appointment and in Gympie you know that the next available appointment is going to be a couple of days from now. What if I'm feeling sick today but by the time I get to the doctor, I'm better? Or what if I get there and they say, mate, that's nothing. Go home, take two Panadols and toughen up. Now I don't think... Doctors are actually like that. But in the back of my mind, that's what I'm thinking. So I keep thinking, no, I don't need to go to the doctor. It's not bad enough, at least not yet. And maybe this says something about my psychology, but strangely, I want the doctor to justify my suspicions, to say, yes, you are sick, but then what I really want them to say is, you're unwell, but... There's this simple, easy, pain-free remedy. All you've got to do is take this tablet twice a day for a week and you'll be better. That's what I want. I want to have my suspicions confirmed that I do have a problem but also that it's not really all that bad. The problem is something I can easily fix. I suspect for many of us, in the back of our minds, we wonder if something's wrong. Not something with our health, but with our whole life and with our hearts. In the back of our minds, we have this gnawing thought. I'm not quite the person I know I should be. I find myself getting into arguments with people I love more often than I should. I catch myself spreading gossip Or saying unkind things about people behind their backs. Maybe it's when you lie or hide the truth to keep yourself out of trouble. Or you find yourself judging others, judging strangers because of how they look, their bodily appearance, their clothing, their size, their colour. Today we're going to open God's word and what we're going to read is kind of like going to the doctor. We're going to get a diagnosis, not of a physical condition, but of our life, of our heart's condition. And God's diagnosis for you and me is grim. It's much worse than we'd imagined. So have a read in the Bible to how it's summed up in Ephesians chapter 2, sentence number 1, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins now if you 've got a keen ear you 'll have heard that sentence is in the past tense. You were dead. Uh, the reason for this is Ephesians is a letter written not to a breed of dogs but to people who live in a place called Ephesus, where 're I suppose. Ephesians is written to a letter written to those people who are trusting now in Jesus. Something 's changed for them, but he 's saying that the diagnosis is worse than we think in the past tense. But that means, though, there's going to be some good news. So we're going to deal with the bad news first, but there is good news, so hold on for that. But we do need to take this diagnosis seriously. The Bible says this is reality for every single person, for you and me, no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your ethnicity, the diagnosis is bad. The way we need to understand ourselves is we're not basically good people who occasionally surprise ourselves by not living up to our expectations. No, we are dead in our sin. Now, clearly the word dead here is a word picture. It's painting a picture in our minds. It's not meant to be taken literalistically because the very next sentence says, in which you used to live. You, you can't be dead and then used to live at the same time if it's a literal. No, it's, we are physically alive, but the diagnosis of our spiritual condition is we are dead in sin. Why is death the right metaphor for all of humanity? Well, death is a problem you can't solve yourself. It's total and final. And despite what the Princess Bride says, you can't be mostly dead. There's no partway position. You're either dead or you're alive. And if you're dead, then all of you is dead. There is no life in you. So that's the picture. What's the reality behind the metaphor? What does it mean to be dead in sin? Well, the reality is we are stuck in sin. And sin impacts our total person. It is final and total. What is sin? And we often hear that word and it sounds like, well, it's being a bit naughty. It's eating chocolate or watching TV when we should be cleaning. But the word really means autonomy or self-centeredness. When we do something selfish, when we put our desires above the needs of others, or when we do or say something that is cruel and hurts people, we often say, well, I don't know what came over me. But God's diagnosis is nothing came over you, something came out of you. And that was sin. The truth is we are self-centred, we are selfish. And this isn't only in our relationships with other people, but sin is primarily about our relationship with God. We think we don't need God. We don't need to listen to our Creator or live the way He made us. We don't need to thank Him for all He's given us. Instead of following God and his love and kindness, we do whatever we want. Though, it's not quite as simple as just doing what we want. In many ways, we are going along with the flow. We're being led or or misled. We're going with the flow of how everyone selfishly lives which is one of the reasons why we don't see the diagnosis for what it is. We compare ourselves to other people who have got the same situation. So not only are we going with the flow of how everyone selfishly lives, we're even being misled by evil spiritual forces. So have a read again from verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions, your law-breaking and sins, your selfishness, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Uh, The ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's a way of talking of evil spiritual forces. Uh, Some of them, uh, we don't like talking about spiritual sounding things, supernatural sounding things, don't they? A bit nervous right now, aren't they? It sounds like, hang on, we're going off the deep end. This is the kind of thing you read. They belong in fantasy stories or sci-fi movies. We live in a world of technology and scientific progress. Surely this kind of thing should go back to the Dark Ages where it belongs. If such a time ever existed, you can talk to historians about that. The Bible is unapologetically clear. The God who made the world we see also made spiritual creatures that are just as real and whose ways impact us. We are caught up in the systems of the world which themselves are impacted by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We just go along with the flow, but that doesn't dissolve our responsibility. You can't say, the devil made me do it. Because at the same time as being misled, we're also going along with our own selfish desires. Verse 3, have a look. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying The cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now doing whatever you like, going along with your desires, sounds good. Until you stop and think that whatever I like is so often destructive. Following whatever your desires want sounds good unless you spend any time with toddlers. Now we had a great example of toddlers this morning. But they're not always like that, I'm sure Mitch and Kelly can tell you. You might think going along with your desire sounds good unless you've spent time with toddlers or people who behave like toddlers despite their age. Have you seen those videos on the internet or the internet videos that make it to the morning news? People's bad behaviour caught on camera, whether it's the person who puts their car across multiple parking spots. How dare they! or the entitled person throwing a tantrum in the restaurant because they can't get precisely the table they wanted. These videos, the photos, they go viral online because we are disgusted by their selfishness. But in moments of honesty, we see the same tendencies in ourselves. I need the car park. I don't care who else needs it. I saw it in myself, with my daughter breaking her arm. At first, I was actually a bit grumpy at her. I resented that I had to do a bunch of little things to help her, cut fruit for her, brush her hair. Like, I should have been over that. You're not the kid anymore. You're growing, You're at high school. That she couldn't help with the washing up. And I noticed I was resenting her because of her broken arm. How dare she have a broken arm and get in the way of me and the things I want to get done? but I'm really thankful that God gave me a moment of clarity to realise that I was just being selfish and I need to own the diagnosis and apologise to my daughter and the whole family who had to suffer my grumpiness and repent. But little moments like that confirm God's diagnosis. Sin is a universal reality and sin is a bigger problem. It's worse than we ever thought. Not only is our sin worse than we thought because following our own desires is destructive to others and destructive to ourselves, and but because it's also an offence against the living God, our loving and holy Creator, it means we are deserving of wrath, deserving of God's punishment. The bad news isn't only how our sin, our selfishness, the bad news isn't only how this impacts ourselves and others, but because God is loving and just... He won't allow this to continue forever. We will face God's wrath, God's punishment. And this is the diagnosis. The problem, our sin, is much worse than we ever thought. And because we are dead in our sin, we can't do anything to fix it. However, the next sentence, verse four, it begins with one of the best words in the Bible. But. But God. Verse four. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. This is, this is mind-blowing. We can't fix the problem of our sin because we're dead. Try to be completely selfless for a day. We can't. But God loves People, He's people. Do you see those words? God's love is great. His mercy is rich. It makes me think of a decadent dessert. Big, lavish, delicious. God's love and mercy is like that. Great and rich. And this is astounding. And if you are a Christian or not, you need to listen to this. Many people, especially Christians, we don't think God likes us. We think God's basic attitude towards his people is disappointment. You think God is frustrated with you because you're often frustrated with yourself and you think, well, that's what God must be like. And then we hear the Bible talk about God's love and we think, okay, well, what it must be is that God doesn't really like us. He doesn't really love us. He's basically frustrated with me. But what happened is that Jesus came and the grumpy God, well, something's changed and now God loves us. No, it is because God's great love and rich mercy It's because of that that Jesus was born, lived, died and rose again. Jesus didn't come to make God love his people, but God already does. Jesus loves his people when we're dead in sin. And God's love is shown in what he's done in Jesus. There are two big things God has done in Jesus, which fix the big problems we have because of our sin. And the first is, for people who are dead in sin, God gives life. So let's read again from verse four, Ephesians two, four, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Do you remember the diagnosis from verse 1? We're not sick in sin. We're not injured in sin. We're dead in trespasses, law-breaking and sin, selfishness. That's a problem we can't fix. You can't make yourself undead. The only one who can deal with death is God. The same God who raised Jesus from the grave, he raises his people from spiritual death in sin. And he doesn't do this because of anything in us. Because if you're dead, you can't contribute anything. God doesn't choose to give life to those who are smart enough to realise God is real and Jesus is the Saviour. God doesn't choose to give life to those who are ethical enough to recognise their own sin and to do the work and then look to God for forgiveness to make up the gap. God doesn't choose to give life to those who are religious enough to go to church or get baptised or take the Lord's Supper. No, God gives life to the dead out of his own great love and rich mercy. And he does this. He chooses to give life, new life, eternal life. He does this out of his own grace. What is grace? Undeserved kindness. What do we deserve? By nature, we are deserving of wrath, verse 3. But grace is God's undeserved mercy. And love. And he gives life, the same life that raised Jesus from the grave. Without Jesus we are dead, without hope, without a future, but God gives life a future and a hope. God deals with our deep problem. Without him, we are dead in sin. But we have another problem. Sin leads to shame. We haven't dug into this yet. It hasn't been mentioned in the verses we've read so far. But because of our sin, because we don't live up to our own expectations, let alone God's, we are filled with shame. Guilt is the realisation you've done the wrong thing. Shame says you are the wrong person. I remember a time in primary school. Out of peer pressure, I joined in bullying a boy in our class. He was the bottom of the pecking order. I was just a couple of rungs above him. But I joined in the bullying and did something unkind, something cruel to him. I remember the moment I did it, I felt terrible. What kind of person am I that I would do such a thing, that I would be cruel to someone just to fit in? And I'm sure there are things like that, moments like that, and they come back to haunt you as you lay awake at night. But the good news is Jesus In Jesus, shame is taken away. Instead of being forever burdened by our shame in his shameful death on the cross, Jesus takes his people's shame away. And he doesn't only give new life, but he gives honour. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. Jesus offers to take our shame away. Just as Jesus, after his shameful death on a Roman cross, not only was Jesus raised to life, but he ascended to his heavenly throne, to the place of greatest glory and honour, verse 6 says, this is what's given to all those who have faith in Jesus. Christian, you are now seated with Jesus. Right now, spiritually, you are on the throne in and with him. There is no more shame. Your shame has been covered with his honour. Now there's a, a little... But super significant word in verses five, six, and seven. Uh, the word is "with." In some translations, it's the word "in." Made alive with Christ, raised into the heavenly realms with Christ, seated with Christ in His on His eternal throne. It's a little word, a big meaning. What it means is everything that is true of Jesus. Is true of his people. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, if he'd only died for sin, believers might be forgiven of sin, but we'd be united with him in the grave. But because of his resurrection, we share in his life. Believers also share in his glorification. Jesus is risen and reigning and in a real way, believers are also with him on the throne. We share in his heavenly glory. And this is completely undeserved. We deserve death and shame. With Christ there is life and honour. And all of this is a gift. Now I've only hinted at this so far, but how do you make this true for you? How do we make the past tense, the past tense for you? Well, is everything Ephesians 2 says, eternal life and honour, is it automatic? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, is this true for everyone? Is every single person caught up in this story? No, what is given is a gift, a gift received by faith. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Earlier I said grace is undeserved kindness. Another picture of for grace is it's a gift. At a birthday party, the birthday boy, the birthday girl, is showered with gifts. But they don't deserve the gifts. It's, it's actually crazy what we do. The person who should be getting something on a birthday is mum or maybe dad. Mum's the one who's done all the hard work. But a gift isn't about deserving. It's freely given in love. The life and honour offered in Jesus is a gift. It's by grace. There's nothing you or I can do to deserve this gift. We are dead in sin. Our sin brings guilt and shame. And that's what makes God's grace through faith a gift. We don't deserve it. And because what God gives in Jesus is a gift, there's nothing you can boast about. On your birthday, you don't go around boasting, aren't I amazing? Look at all these great presents I just got. No, if anything, you boast about how amazing and how generous your family and friends are. It's the same with God's gift of faith and the grace it receives. What is faith? It's trusting, it's receiving, it's resting in what God has done in Jesus It's trusting God's diagnosis that I really am worse off than I thought. You can go to the doctor and get the diagnosis as bad or as good as it is and go, oh, God, I believe you, I'll just keep on limping along. (laughs) It's not going to do you any good. You need to trust the doctor's diagnosis. It's trusting God's diagnosis. It's also trusting God's amazing gift. That in Jesus we are more loved than we could ever imagine. Uh, That summary of the good news, I am more sinful than I know, I am more loved than I can imagine. It's a great summary. It's not something I thought up. I got it from Tim Keller, he probably got it from someone else. What is the good news of Jesus? Well the diagnosis, I am more sinful than I know. The good news, I am more loved than I can imagine. So what are you going to do with this? How are you going to respond? Do you see yourself in God's diagnosis that you are dead in sin, that you're caught up, controlled by selfish desires? If you've never come to grips with this before, if you're not trusting in Jesus, God's invitation to you is to call out to him, to trust in Jesus and receive life and honour in him. And if you are already trusting in Jesus, if you're already a Christian, keep trusting in Jesus. These words in Ephesians 2 are written for you. They are your life story. You were dead, past tense. Now you're alive. You were misled. But now you are raised and seated with Christ. It started as a gift. It remains a gift. So keep resting in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for what you give in Jesus. Please help us see ourselves for what we really are. Help us hear your diagnosis that without Jesus we are dead in sin, selfish, self-absorbed, ignoring you. And this is not only destructive, but it leads to destruction, your holy judgment. We thank you for Jesus that through faith in him, we can be united to him. So his resurrection life is our life, and we even participate in his ascended glory. Please open our hearts to this truth. May we trust in Jesus, rest in him, and be renewed by knowing him. Amen.